0: Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. In this podcast, we discuss how data is creating our future. Specifically, we cover applications of analytics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. We discuss career tips for data scientists on how to lead and create value from data. And also, what are the current and future challenges in data science. In this podcast, we interview current leaders in the data space such as heads of and directors of data science and data engineering, chief data scientists and chief data officers to find out straight from them what were the lessons they've learned in their careers which have helped them get to where they are today. My name is Felipe Flores and I have over 15 years experience in the data space where I've worked on everything from data warehousing to reporting and business intelligence to machine learning and artificial intelligence. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today we speak with Dr. Jacek Kowalski, who is the Chief Data Scientist at Australian Unity. Jacek has a long and accomplished career where he has worked in research, corporates and startups. And for example, he was the chief technology officer and at a technology startup that was then acquired and he was also the chief innovation officer at another technology startups technology startup and then he went on to work before and after actually he worked on uh, telecommunications and doing also network analysis then he went on to financial services with his last two roles. In this discussion, we talk we talk a lot about the the balance between, I guess, pragmatism, realism, and the the risks in um, applying data science to different business applications. We talk about the the differences and the contrast between working in startups and corporates. Uh, we talk about what makes a great data science leader, how to get things done in big corporates, what type of skills that needs and what type of relationships need to be built in order to rally the troops and get things through big corporations. And We discuss how to impart agile and lean principles uh, to a team of data scientists and the broader stakeholders that you work with. This is a really interesting conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Felipe Flores, and I'm sitting here with Jacek Kowalski. Uh, he's hi, the. Hi, Felipe. How are you doing? I'm um, I'm very well, thank you. I'm very very excited to um for this conversation and to pick your brain today. I think it's going to be really good. Um, so uh, please, uh, let's let's start at the at the beginning. Tell me how how did you get into the space?
1: Um, Where did you start? Uh, Actually, it's quite a long journey, in a sense. Uh, It probably begins uh, at the uni. So uh, I decided to study mathematics. I was thinking about maybe studying engineering because I had some, I guess, mechanical engineering uh, inclinations Mm -hmm. and, and passions. But then out of laziness I decided to study mathematics and the reason <laughs> I said laziness because sure. uh, we, we uh, actually we have uh, entry exams you know, for the university so your, mm-hmm. your VC or your matriculation is not uh, really that relevant, you have to sit for you know, quite serious exams. Uh-huh. And I um, participated in in the uh, Mathematics Olympics and got sufficiently high to have free entry uh, to mathematics. So like, hey, (laughs) the prospect, because a lot of people were, you know, at that time preparing for exams and, you know, uh, our matriculation was in May. Like, hey, you know, I'll have, like, very long holidays. (laughs) Let's study mathematics. Perfect. And I started with, uh, actually, my passion was, like, geometry and in in particular topology, general Mm -hmm. topology. I think I have reasonably uh, good uh, spatial intuitions. But then I think, uh, and actually the course was five years, uh, and um, I think in my third year I started thinking, okay, topology is nice, but what am I going to do after I complete my degree? And then I thought, okay, maybe you know, probability and statistics is a better choice. So I switched. So uh-huh. It was mainly probability, stochastic processes. Then after uh, doing my um, like after completing uh, my my uni course, I got a, an R and D job uh, at the Institute of, of Computer Science of the Polish uh, Academy of Sciences. It was a group dealing with uh, like you know statistics and computational statistics. Uh, and then, I think about three years later, I decided to, to do my PhD in, in statistics. I had uh, a pretty good idea about you know, the subject. It was based on you know, some of the work that I was doing in, in the statistical uh, decision theory. And uh, yeah, I thought, okay, maybe it would be nice to you know, do my PhD overseas. And it so happened that one of the professors that I was uh, dealing uh, with in the past, and he was from the Charles University in Prague, and uh, he was uh, working uh, at Blinders University. So I sent him my application and basically he said, yeah, no problem, come over, but look, I'm about to retire, so you, <laughs> are, you are, you'll be practically on your own. <laughs> and uh, i was quite uh, happy about about it i said look i have i think i have you know pretty good idea uh, you know what i uh, want to do uh, and yeah I, I came over and uh, it took me less than 3 years to uh, to complete my my phd then amazing uh, I published a few papers but actually it was it was very theoretical. Mm-hmm. It was like you know statistics uh, done in Banach spaces. <laughs> like, right. not quite like that you know I was using you know quite heavy machinery to solve some uh, statistical problems and then like uh, submerging uh, really like Eucl- 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 Euclidean spaces into like L1 and, and L-, L infinity and then take it back to like, uh, you know, human dimensions. Then uh, I, I published a few uh, papers on the subjects and, uh, you know, when, I, when they were uh, uh, approved for publication, I got uh, you know, preprints and, like, I looked at it and, like, oh, geez, this is so esoteric and obscure. <laughs> and there are probably, I know, a handful of people around the world who really <laughs> work in this space. Yes. So, yeah, I said, okay, what's next? Again, you know the same question, as, question before. as before, and around that that time it was like you know the beginning of the internet. We had uh, Australian academic and uh, research network uh, at universities, and actually I got fascinated by by internet technologies. I I was uh, participating in some. I was sending things to uh, like distribution lists and you know reading articles. Uh, it was all text at that time. Uh, uh, I had my internet connection from home was a you know 300 kilobits per second uh, modem and a Teckronic uh, hmm. terminal. I was connecting to to a, a, a Unix server at the university, wow. <laughs> spending long hours at night discussing uh, things with people. Wow! So I said, okay, that's that's quite fascinating, and I was fortunate enough that there was a job advertised at the University of Adelaide uh, at the Teletraffic Research Center and they were looking for someone with with background in in probability and statistics to do some work on network analytics and the center was partly funded by Telstra Mm -hmm. so I said yeah that's a perfect opportunity if I can get it Uh, and uh, I wasn't that I would get the job because, yeah, they mentioned, you know, familiarity with some, you know, net- net protocols and I didn't have any background in this. I, I, I did some reading and at the same time, I, I applied for a job at the Australian uh, uh, National University with uh, Peter Hall, who unfortunately passed, uh, I think, last year, one of the greatest uh, mathematicians, uh, Australian mathematicians. Yes. And yeah, Peter responded like, you know, in, in five minutes, I said, oh, yeah, that's a good sign, I'll get the job. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and it worked out exactly the opposite. <laughs> so I didn't get uh, the ANU job, I got the job at the University of uh, of Adelaide. And, uh, yeah, basically we started working on, on a number of projects for, for Telstra. Uh, and that was looking at network? It was like basically uh, network analytics. There was a lot of Turing theory, a lot of uh, data analysis. Uh, like, you know, uh, at that time, majority of major exchanges, because it was still initially mainly telephone network like PSTN, Majority of, uh, uh, like at least main exchanges were uh, modern uh, electronic Ericsson and Nortel exchanges, uh, fully instrumented to do you know traffic measurements uh, like call holding times, uh, connection setup times, etc., etc. So yeah, I was looking at, at statistical aspects uh, of uh, you know quality of service. So it was it was very very practical, and actually one of the projects. Uh, like a group at Telstra, they were called International Career Business Units, Mm -hmm. Uh, they were were doing some work in Vietnam. Uh, I think it was some intergovernmental cooperation and Telstra was designing uh, a core network in the southern economic region and uh, yeah they basically came to us like hey can you help us and there is all um, you know, the telecom infrastructure in Vietnam is so obsolete, we cannot measure any traffic. It's all step-by-step exchanges. Wow! So the best we can do is to basically go to an exchange and, and count the clicks when the mechanical uh, exchange connects a call. Really? <laughs> and then we, we can get you know, some idea some about data. the connections per minute. or the, So basically we are at loss, we don't know what to do, can you help us? And I built a model, a traffic uh, distribution model, based on uh, data collected in Australia, uh, and actually, I wasn't even sure you know how suitable mm. uh, it was going to be because yeah, it's a completely different uh, obviously country, a completely different economy. Um, but it turned out that some of the um, uh, um, phenomena that uh, you know we see, you know how people communicate are, are quite uh, universal, so the model turned out to be to be pretty good, and uh, they did their job.
0: Uh, and what were you modeling for that one? It
1: was basically traffic distribution. Effectively, uh, it is uh, you know how many uh, and the traffic is measured in Netherlands, mm-hmm. basically like uh, route occupancy uh, measures, and uh, so you have a, a bunch of points like you plan your exchanges in different areas. And, you know, all you know is basically distances between those areas and the type of um, customers that uh, you, you'll be connecti- connecting to, to your network. They, you know, they may be residential customers. They may be uh, like commercial, like, you know, I know, some industrial areas or, or, or shopping center. Or, or, and obviously those uh, different customer uh, classes, and they, they generate uh, different amount of traffic. And it turns out that it is, it is uh, related to distance. It's, I think those models are often referred to as, as gravity models. Mm-hmm. So I built something like that. Uh, it wasn't exactly gravity model, but it was very similar. Like the dependence uh, on distance was 1 over d to the power of alpha where alpha was a coefficient. Uh, sometimes it could be even two, like in the you know, gravity modeling. But nice. yeah, there, were, there were a few uh, other factors that I took into account. Uh, Yeah, and it turned out that it worked quite well. So, I think it was a few months uh, later I got uh, a job offer from the Telstra Research Laboratories, uh, this kind of logical conclusion. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and uh, we moved uh, to Melbourne from Adelaide, and yeah, I started working at at, uh, Telstra, um, doing even more practical things, um, but I think from that time onwards like more and more work that I was doing was uh, basically internet related so doing similar things for internet and mm-hmm. actually it was much harder because you know some of the problems that we were dealing with uh, it was uh, uh, something similar to like at, at that time internet connect- connectivity was uh, provided by phone lines and and modems yes so basically when you were on the internet no one could call you mm-hmm. and actually the internet calls had completely different characteristics and this the uh, call holding time distributions was were heavy tiled like you know, Pareto, um, Cauchy type so they were basically uh, causing complete havoc with you know the you know, telephone network capacity. Yes. Um, so we were trying to model those things, but luckily, what happened is that uh, you know Telstra, like the, obviously, you know, to address those uh, issues, um, you know, telecommunications companies like telecommunications vendors, and they were working on new technologies like ADSL, and Telstra started rolling ADSL, and uh, those problems uh, disappeared because on, on an ADSL line you can use different frequencies for yeah. data and voice, so yeah, you can you can have both at the same time. So it kind of. Uh, initially, fixed the problem. But then, uh, what started happening is that and there was more, and obviously, ADSL was much faster than, than your modem. Yes. Um, so, what started happening, and actually, there was at the same time more and more content, and most of that content was coming uh, from the US, uh, which was quite a problem for the International Career Business Unit because. Uh, yeah, uh, you know they had to provide capacity to, to the U.S. and fiber networks obviously were already there, but uh, there was a cost of you know connecting all the equipment and uh, lighting up uh, you know fiber, and uh, the U.S. Uh, carriers I think it was Sprint mm-hmm. they didn't want to share the cost and the argument was okay you come for our content you pay the full price of the circuit oh and it was very expensive yeah. And Telstra tried to do something about it. I think they sued um, Sprint. Didn't work. So they said, "Okay, we have to come up with uh, some new ideas." And maybe, maybe we can um, route traffic. Uh, in
2: actually,
1: there's one one important thing that uh, at that time uh, most of our Internet connectivity. I think New Zealand was uh, the only exception. Uh, we were connecting to New Zealand directly, but everywhere else it was going through the U.S. So you were sending an email to Europe or, or Singapore, which is yes. not that far away, yes. and it was going through the U.S. Wow. And actually, it was uh, the, the the argument that uh, you know the U.S. companies were using was like, okay, yeah, you pull, you you pay full circuit price uh, to the U.S. But yeah, we, we are providing you with free connectivity with the rest of the world. Oh, and obviously the same, they were telling the same story to everyone. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, skimming all the cream. So, uh, what happened oh. is that, um, you know, the, the John Hibbard, who was the, uh, I think, running International Career Business Unit, he basically, you know, came to call TRL and said, hey guys, can you help us? Can mm-hmm. you, you know, maybe somehow measure, you know, where the traffic is, is going? And uh, it wasn't as easy as with, uh, uh, you know, telephone ex- modern telephone exchanges, at, at, at least at that time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we decided to build uh, like a, you know, real-time internet monitoring uh, solution which wow. was based on FreeBSD on with some fancy network interfaces. And it was all open source. And wow. uh, yeah, we used um, a piece of software from uh, by Neville Brownlee from the University of Auckland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we built one box, connected it uh, in Melbourne. Yeah, it worked uh, very nice. So we could basically see where where the traffic is going based on IP addresses. And obviously we we were not uh, looking inside the packets, it was only the headers like source and destination uh, address and then resolving by geographical location. Great. Yeah, it worked very well. We connected another box uh, uh, in Sydney uh, and then there was a hiccup because you know, the traffic uh, going through the Sydney uh, um, traffic exchange was much higher wow. uh, and the box was uh, basically dropping packets but luckily um, I managed to come up with a solution. It turned out that uh, a bit of mathematics helped because uh, basically only if, you, if you have to um, keep track of uh, you know, fast events like that mm-hmm. obviously you have to use proper data structures and you know, the way it was done it was through basically a matrix of uh, lists so it was you know, typically like a hashing function to get quickly to a location and then yeah you know, a bunch of lists hanging off of those uh, entry points mm-hmm. but buckets and it turned out that the flow hashing algorithm was not very efficient and here yeah, there were a lot of empty buckets and Mm. Um, a few very long, uh, like very uh, full ones with very long lists was taking a lot of time to <laughs> to go through. So yes. yeah, I managed to come up, and it was just a matter of you know a few uh, multipliers, uh, mutually prime numbers. Yeah, and then it fixed you know, the algorithm. Actually, it became part of one of the RFC standards later. Wow. So then Telstra, um, based on our data, mm-hmm. they decided to expand connectivity uh, into Asia. And uh, we recommended that the first uh, country should be Japan. They didn't quite believe, but said, okay, we have nothing better uh, to base our decision on. So we'll go with your, uh, we'll follow your recommendation. And it turned <laughs> out that it was almost spot on. Uh-huh. And then like a fortnight later, you know, that link got uh, congested. So they had to increase the capacity. Wow. And then they they, they uh, went into other um, Asian countries, and actually, it was relatively simple because the fiber was already there, the physical network. So the only thing that they had to do is to, you know, lit it up, or, you know, maybe even it was uh, lit up. Just connect, uh, you know, routers and make agree- agreements with some IS, uh, ISPs, like, um, yeah. peering agreements, and, and that was it. Right, so but then it. they
0: had to lay the fiber to Japan.
1: The Actually, no, no, the fiber no. was there already. It, yeah, the ah. fiber was there. It was, uh, yeah, had, you know, the physical network was there, it, so it was basically connecting the right type of equipment. But obviously, to connect, you have to connect to someone. So, uh, yes. they had to sign agreements with uh, uh, different carriers in, in different Asian countries. In, in Japan, I think it was KDD. So Telstra signed an agreement, they hooked up their router, you know, we hook, hooked up our router and then you know, traffic started flowing. Um, so that was, you know, quite a successful Very. project. Uh,
0: and how was that process of, of um, convincing people to, to make that decision? Uh,
1: actually, mm-hmm. that was um, quite interesting. And it's, it's not much different these days in many organizations. Mm-hmm. It was all uh, what I would call skunkworks. And the guy who was quite fundamental to it was Jeff Houston Mm -hmm. who was, you know, he's regarded as the father of of Australian internet. And he was running Telstra Big Pond Direct at at that time. And it was a completely different mentality than, than, you know, typical Telstra manager. Telstra used to be a public service company. So (laughs) with public public, uh, service comes a lot of politics. So I'm, Jeff, who was officially against what we are, what we were doing, like, I said, hey, after after one of the meetings, Jeff, why? And he said, look, you don't say those th- things in public. You want to do something, mm-hmm. you call me directly, and you will do it. <laughs> in a few days, it just happened. He said, look, it's officially, it's not happening. Yes, it's all quiet. You know, you'll get a contact at uh, you know, the Telstra uh, exchange. You will call him, he will know that you know, they have to you know, give you a rug space, you can put your box, do your work, and then that will be it. <laughs>
2: yes, yes.
1: And that's how it happened.
0: And, uh, and and you're absolutely right. I love that you use that word skunk works uh, for this. And it, it still happens so much
2: today. Yes,
1: yes exactly. Look, I had the same exp- actually a similar experience at Telstra, because I came back um to Telstra it was about five years ago but actually yeah. that's a, 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 a that happened later. Later, and later it was exactly the same thing the only the only uh, way you can you can do something something real is do it quietly because otherwise people will kill it off yes and there is so much politics and so many silos and you know for some strange reasons uh you know people think that you you do something good and it, it hurts them mm. like some other area obviously it's you know turf wars because they think that they should be doing it. And actually at Telstra, the stories were absolutely hilarious because um, you know, when we did this internet thing, uh, Telstra had like an internal newsletter. It was called Our Future or something like Mm -hmm. that. And uh, one day there was like our Telstra journal turned up at the research labs and uh, basically he interviewed me. And a few weeks later, there was an article published about the work uh, that we were doing about, uh, yeah, like measuring internet traffic. And then after that uh, article was published, all the hell broke uh, loose. Like uh, m- maybe it wasn't as bad, but I was getting yeah. calls from managers of st- some strange area. business units, and said, he, and they were basically angry. Why, why did you do it? And this is our area, measuring optical networks, quality of optical networks is our area. I said. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Uh, have uh-huh. you heard about TCP/IP protocol? Yeah. What's TCP/IP? No. I said okay. You know, I don't think that we have to talk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So yeah. No it's, knowledge. You know, it, it's, it's quite no because at that time it was quite early. Like, yeah. You know, even even the CEO of Telstra, Frank Blunt, uh, one day asked a question: what, "What's this internet thing that people are talking about?" No way. Yeah, it was it was a you know telephone. Company, company. Yeah, car, yeah,
0: early days. Yeah. Wow. And do, so, do you think that uh, data science in general needs needs strong leadership to to create those kind of projects?
1: Yes. Yes. And actually, it's not only strong leadership, but you you need a lot of skills. It's not only data science. Like mm-hmm. you know, at Telstra, I, I was basically building, so I had to cut code. I had to you know build servers, um, you know, connect. To, uh, you know find the right uh, the type of uh, hardware like you know we needed fddi cards fddi is 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 a you know pretty old ring technology not used anymore but at that uh, time it was um, in uh, the uh, telstra exchange international traffic exchange uh, in melbourne and the technology connecting all the you know subnets was fddi Sydney, it was fast internet, so you know mm-hmm. we are talking, um, you know, 100 megabits per second speed, which is nothing, and international yes. connections were of the order like of you know 20 megabits per second. Wow! This is what oh, you no. are going to your home days, so, <laughs> <laughs> with ideas. <laughs> yeah. So you know, completely, completely different uh, days. But um, yeah, so that's my experience. Is that's the only way that uh, you can get things done. Yes. And uh, you know when when I was working for a startup, we had a little bit similar experience, but it was more business decision, not um, not really technology thing. And actually, we we could basically do whatever we wanted mm-hmm. uh, uh, from the technology point of view. But uh, one of the guys that uh, I was working with, and he was our sales guy, he used to say. Um, let's do it and ask for forgiveness later. Great. And obviously there was always a bit of risk, so you yes. have to be a you know, risk taker, but uh, if something wo- works, you are forgiven. Like there is no, and usually what happens is like you know, with this internet uh, thing, things get ex- escalated by uh, your boss quite quickly. So, mm. uh, you know, when we delivered that uh, internet uh, traffic monitoring solution, the director of uh, uh, TRL, TELSA Research Laboratories, Hugh Bradlow, he took it to the board and like a few days later I had, uh, you know, my office was full of uh, senior managers including, uh, I think it was John Stocker who was <laughs> the head of CSR, and <laughs> was showing them huh. you know, what, what we were doing. And obviously, yes. you know, if something like that happens, no one can question you, like everyone shuts up. Yes. There is, there is no way that they can, uh, you know, throw any spanners in in the works.
0: That's right. That's right. So so it's uh it sounds like it's a combination of a few different different skills and different practices of doing some work that's sort of covert and then leading with the work. Yeah. So then showing people. Yep. Yeah. And how, how did you manage those those two operating modes?
1: Uh, look and you have to find people who who'll be on board who obviously you know you'll depend on on people so you basically try to 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 build alliances people that will facilitate and you'll find some and you'll find other uh, you know risk takers because a lot of people are frustrated with the way those those large organizations operate yes and in most cases, uh, you know, the alliances that you need are not necessarily like business uh, levels, you know, senior people, although in some cases it will help, mm-hmm. but typically technical people who will basically facilitate what you are doing, who will open your exchange, give you rack space, uh, you know, <laughs> network <laughs> connectivity. Someone will, you know, give you and, and buy you a server. Uh, actually, the, yes. the, in, the interesting uh, thing with, with this, uh, you know, little project, was that uh, we needed to buy two uh, PCs, like two clones, like at that time, I think it was top, top of the shelf Pentium 2, 333 megahertz, which is, which is a joke. Yeah. I, you, you, you get more grant from your mobile <laughs> phone these days. Um, and they were about, I think, $5,000 each. And when I asked my, my wow. boss, Hey, can you, can we buy it? No, 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 we, we don't have the budget. Like, uh, come on, it's, it's nothing. Right. Yeah. But obviously he was playing a bit of politics and he was, he was not happy about you know, the work that we, we were doing, that we were dealing directly uh, with uh, the International Career Business Unit and not working on his pet projects, which was a complete failure at the end. Mm. Um, so obviously he didn't want to buy it. Then I called um, one of the, it was George Kennedy, um, from the ICPU, and he, he long retired, but he was like really very switched, switched on guy. He was, I think in his mid sixties, like a, a year or two from retirement, but yes. he was so incredibly switched on. Like he, he really had good uh, understanding of uh, like you know, the business potential of, of the internet. And he was helping quite a lot. He was reporting to John Hibbert Wow. And uh, so yeah, what happened is that uh, uh, George said, "Yeah, don't worry, I'll buy two PCs and ship them to you. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we got them in a few um, days, and yeah, we could start uh, start our work. So, you know, people like that. And then, you know, uh, Jeff Houston, and, and uh, I don't remember uh, the name of the person who was uh, managing the Tesla uh, Exchange in Lonsdale Street, but you know, all those people basically were opening. Mm-hmm. The doors, because they understood how important, uh, you know, this kind of uh, work is. Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: So they were enabling the, the innovation.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you, you you keep it under the wraps, and then, obviously, there is a risk that, uh, you know, if it fails, and uh, yes, someone will find out. Not very likely. Then yeah. obviously, yeah, uh, y- you can suffer. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, this is it, and you have to take calculated risks. So yes, yeah, you you have to have enough experience and maybe do a little bit of experimentation to uh, basically make sure that actually make sure is probably not the right uh, word because you are never never sure, never sure, especially in IT. But to have uh, high level of conviction that you know it will it will work. Yes,
0: yeah. that's so so essentially doing almost like testing and small prototypes that, that yeah. can yeah, yeah, show you yeah, that it can yeah, be done Yeah. yeah. Um, but how about before that how how do you pick what should be investigated
2: in the uh, first place
1: look i guess you know it's i don't know some kind of intuition and uh, as i mentioned uh, earlier i have i have you know technical inclinations and uh, i think i Initially, you know, when I was studying mathematics, I just uh, uh, I regarded applied mathematics as something inferior. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> of only, course. you know, when it was in a finite dimensional space, it was like boring, okay? <laughs> um, but then, I guess, you know, when you mature and you, you, you take a different look at the world and say, okay, you know, there are a lot of very tough, practical problems in, in, in three-dimensional spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, and so basically, you have to have um, a knack for practical things. Yes. And you have to uh, enjoy solving practical problems. Obviously, uh, you won't get, um, you won't become famous for solving practical problems. Yes. (laughs) It's not that you'll come up with a new. Uh, neur- neural network architecture like capsule networks or something like that and yes. then you know the whole world will uh will be bow- bowing to to you Now it's uh yeah it's basically it's true applying uh, uh, you know quite advanced knowledge and skills to you know sometimes problems that seem to be quite trivial but but are you know quite hard to to solve
0: yes i completely agree and that's and that area um, really excites me. I love I love that area of, of the applied data science where you have to combine uh, risk taking. You have to be realistic around what uh, should be done, yeah. and you have to understand business enough. Yeah.
1: And actually, it started uh, at Tesla, like under, understanding business on on a large scale, uh, but. Uh, actually, what happened is that Telstra decided uh, that uh, when it was privatized, that they no longer need Telstra Research Laboratories, so they basically started disbanding huh. uh, the whole thing. So, like one one day, we lost about 40 percent of people. and We had like wow. well, well over 500. But having having said that, uh, I was not surprised because you know, TRL, you know, some people used to call it uh, the University of Telstra. Huh. okay. Because, you know, we had physicists, chemists, know uh, they were doing good work, but sometimes it made you think, do we really need uh, this kind of um, uh, research? It's more probably appropriate at universities or maybe, you know, vendors. Uh, but, you know, Telstra decided to cut very deep, and you know, at some point, basically, the TRL was gone. it was transformed to uh, into the office of the CTO and moved Mm -hmm. to the city from Clayton. Uh, Still quite a few people that uh, like from my group are are there. Actually our group was least affected because we were dealing with things like network operations network analytics so it's something that definitely made sense to to retain but in the politics became so heavy that Basically, I decided to move on and I got poached by a consulting company. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, when I moved on, I was working on similar projects, like, you know, system performance. And uh, um, my first uh, project was uh, through that company. It was Praxa, was with Australian Post, Uh, It's basically performance analysis of of the uh, new bill payment system. So there was a lot of, you know, protocols, a lot of data. A lot of experimentation and at the end uh, my recommendation was like don't touch it like unless you know the you know, protocols are completely uh, changed because yeah the system will fail and actually the whole project at the end uh, uh, after like I think Australia Post after spending millions mm-hmm. of dollars can't <laughs> huh. Um yeah but it was it was an interesting uh, piece of work then I was doing some consulting where, where works for internet startups, so the logical conclusion at some point was okay. You know why uh, not go to a startup? Which I did. Yes. Oh good. But unfortunately, it was a few m- months before dot com crash. Uh-huh. Yes. So the startup was based in uh, Bellingham um, right. near Seattle, mm-hmm. and yeah, it basically went under. Yes. <laughs> Actually, prior to that, you know when I was uh, working at Prax, I was sent to the. US and worked with uh, an interesting startup. Actually, I was wa- working for one of the aerospace companies. Uh, the startup uh, was building uh, systems for providing internet uh, connectivity on, on passenger airplanes. Yeah, so right Wow. then <clears throat> very advanced. Yeah, it was, but at that time it wasn't wireless because the yes. you know, Federal Aviation Commission, there was no way that they would allow Wi-Fi on, and actually Wi-Fi was really like very, very, I don't think that there was any commercial application of, mm. of Wi-Fi at that time, so yeah. it was all based on like firewire cores and USB ports on the back of the seats, so it didn't go. Very far, but you know, the, the, like working for a startup or with a startup was was quite exciting. So I said, yeah, that's that's definitely it. And you don't have the same constraints. Basically, you can you can go nuts. Like you know, your <laughs> your imagination and and skills are, are the the limits. Yes. But in this case, unfortunately, the startup that I was working for, uh, yeah, it went under. So uh, I had to find uh, uh, rapidly find uh, a new job. At that time you know, the unemployment in in, in IT was about 20%. Yes. But I was fortunate enough that, uh, you know, with my skills, like in the area of, like, uh, you know, analytics and and, and, uh, network performance, uh, network analytics, I was easily finding consulting jobs for, like, banks and and other companies. And then I even spent some time at Telstra, again, uh, contracting. Then another startup. I was offered a position of the chief technology officer, officer at Azure Wallace. Mm-hmm. And Azure Wallace, uh, it was the company set up by David Gold, uh, who has got long history of uh, starting different uh, businesses on the cutting edge of, of business and, and, and technology. And uh, yeah, that was, it was probably uh, in a sense the best job that I've ever had. Wow. Because uh, David was giving us a lot of freedom, basically he said like yeah, you, you run the company you know I'll, I'll be just overseeing what's going on mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so yeah we were running like the chief operating officer uh, Leroy and and myself we were we were effectively running the company and <laughs> and the company uh, it was a, a hotspot uh, operator. Okay. So, Originally, the idea was like, hey, we'll blanket cover Australia with wi- Wi-Fi yes. and then the company will get uh, acquired by Telstar, Optus or maybe Vodafone because, yeah, we'll give them you know good run for their money. Mm-hmm. But uh, what happened at that time, all the carriers decided to go 3G and they were not really interested in cannibalizing uh, you know, the uh, mobile product, mm-hmm. uh, which was you know, a good decision. Yeah. Uh, like mm-hmm. on, on behalf of telcos. So it wasn't I, I didn't see it flying. So what happened is that almost by accident, uh, we ended up uh, rolling Wi-Fi to hospitality, to hotels. Nice. And since we were doing it in very cost efficient way, we were basically killing our competitors. Great. Uh, just to give you an example, like Hilton yes. on the Park, when they wanted to roll out Wi-Fi, and they got a quotation from our major, like big competitors, for like o- over two hundred grand, and we did the same thing for about twenty. Wow! And you know that's that's the beauty of a startup company, because yeah. we were we were extremely efficient. Everything was streamlined, and actually we knew that in order to to survive in this space, we had to uh, design everything. Uh, in a very efficient way. So, just to to give you an example, it mm-hmm. was 2003, and we were operating from the cloud at that time. Wow! And uh, the, our competitors, they were like for they were bringing in a, a server to each hotel, like uh-huh. a complex server uh, plus the infrastructure. They were using the most expensive uh, access points available, mm. which from there, okay, they had a lot of interesting. Uh, Features, but uh, yeah, we decided to go in the, in the opposite direction. We found a company um, in Taiwan, and they were quietly manufacturing most of the Cisco gear. Uh-huh. And at the <laughs> same time, making their own access points, practically from the same components, but they were like, you know, small footprint power over internet, so you didn't have to run power to them. And at that time, most uh, vendors you had to power uh, directly. You know, most of those access points, which was a, which was a management headache, and you know, even rolling out, like you have to get power to the access point and then cut five cable. So we were we were doing things in a much more clever clever way, like using wireless distribution, you know, power over internet, small footprint, high power output uh, access points. So we could easily blanket cover uh, floors, and wow. uh, uh, you know, with with uh, electronic. Uh, devices very often what happens is that they freeze, mm-hmm. so you know when, when it was happening as soon as uh, uh, power over internet hubs were available that you could basically ma- remotely manage power and yes. do power reset uh, automatically after detecting that a, a device is down. We, you know, we started doing these things and the same with ADSL, ADSL lines were not very reliable and they were you know the connections were dropping out so we were using boxes that but basically like you know power IP Um, Based power switches, that as soon as the switch was detecting that there is no connection to our server. It was power cycling uh, ADSL modem and reconnecting, so the the, the whole thing was basically running itself. Yes. And uh, you know all the installations were uh, done in such a way that uh, you know it was like we had floor plans in an electronic form like you know in images uh, like every asset was uh, 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 tracked, you know, like the, our asset ma- asset management system, network management system. It was all built on open source, sitting on on practically one server, plus all the business information. Uh, so it was like a fully integrated system. Exactly. So that was. Uh, Really, like from the business point of view, that was the best experience that I could uh, ever get. Like building a company, very efficient, uh, automated uh, company from scratch with you know a lot of analytics, uh, like for you know business comp- uh, uh, forecasting and 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 uh, you know analyzing network performance and uh, things like that. So that was that was really fun. Really and exciting. It it ended up with. Uh, Azure Wireless, uh, first we were taken over by Maginet and then alongside Maginet by Docomo entity like big Japanese yes. company and then I spent uh, nearly two years with them and they wanted to move me permanently to Singapore so I decided that you know, after seven years with, with Azure Wireless, yeah, it was time to move on. And actually yes. another interesting uh, history was that when we were taken over, especially by by Docomo, they basically they wanted to just they wanted our customer base. Huh. They were not interested in our technology.
2: Wow! So they
1: basically wanted to scrap it. But then when they look, looked at how cheap it was, uh, like how cheaply it was all done, yes. like on, in such a, an efficient, they they just couldn't work out how we were able to do it. So they left us to our own device. So we were still op- like all, all, although formally we were owned by Docomo. Uh, an entity mm-hmm. and uh, the whole new company was called Docomo uh, Intertouch you know we were still operating as a separate entity they just left us to our own device and it took them <laughs> I think f- like over five years to to basically decide that geez you know this is the way we should have done like other than <laughs> you know uh, scrapping uh, uh, Azure Wallace uh, solution we should mm-hmm. have rolled it <laughs> <laughs> to, Correct. Like everywhere.
0: Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And it was probably, yeah, people didn't look in detail that mm-hmm. your approach yeah. uh, to evaluate it.
1: Well, you know, working for a startup, especially like, you know, at the beginning, you don't have too many resources. So yes. You have to do everything. So you have to be involved in business, mm-hmm. you know, business strategy, technology strategy. Occasionally, if your helpless guy is sick, you, you even have to answer helpless calls. Correct. <laughs> so exactly. Which is, Which gives you... Good experience, like directly talking to customers. So it is, it is really brilliant.
0: And what what did you uh, what did you learn from from that stage? And ex- it
1: was it was basically, you know, business. First of all, business experience. What yes. you do, um, you know, to make your business uh, efficient. So it, it involves a lot of uh, automation. You try to automate as many things as as possible. Make it efficient. Um, you, actually one interesting thing was uh, uh, my experience with data entry mm-hmm. and data quality so people were making a, a lot of mistakes when entering data so you know, rather than mm, letting them uh, type something in if it was just you know, some categorical variable you basically present a uh, uh, you know, pull-down list and they select an item from the list Sure, they can still make a mistake and, and select the wrong item, but you can introduce mechanism for like, cross-checking and, and basically uh, this way you make sure that you know, if it is correlated with something uh, else and then suddenly you get a variable which is not correlated, mm-hmm. then yeah, you say, okay, are you sure that this is what you want to do? Uh, and great. obviously data, data quality is, is a big thing uh, yes. you know, for, for analytics you know garbage in garbage out
0: exactly exactly but through that application you're using analytics in the data entry process Yeah. really
1: really really very very simple uh, tricks to to do it
0: yes but I think it's it's such a great idea such a good application that um, you know we don't see much of it today even you know when you when you look at some of the platforms out at the moment
1: Yes. Look, in every organization, every large organization that I worked for, like with data quality is an issue. Yes, it is a serious issue. Yeah, definitely. And ah. this is this is something that uh, you know, uh, now, after you know, all my experience, this is something that we are going to tackle at Australian Unity. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if it is new data, you can, you know, if you can change the interface, you 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 know try to make sure that um, you know you avoid. Uh, entering uh, incorrect data, but uh, there are a lot of legacy systems, and you you may have like you know applications written in Delphi, yeah. and yeah, you don't really like no one really does anything about it anymore. Yes. Um, so what you have to tackle the problem differently. So basically, you have to. Uh, analyze the data in that because most of those apl- applications will be handing over a database. So you have to analyze the data in the database. You know, find some patterns, find some anomalies, and then uh, effectively uh, spit out uh, the data that you think is incorrect and ask people to uh, fix Adulated, it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And then, and then, so essentially, data scientists would identify the problems and then work with business to to increase the quality of the data. Yeah then would that be fed back to the source system, or to a data warehouse? Where would that go after? Uh,
1: it would, you no, know, it will be uh, fed back, basically you have to uh, correct the data in the, in the source database. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, sometimes you may have like a record, and probably not a bad idea to have a record of, you know, the changes, some kind of log, in case, I don't know, you you make a mistake, you think that you are correcting something, but yeah, it's, uh, so it should be definitely uh, trackable and, and, uh, and audi- auditable. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. yes, definitely. That's really good. So what was your, um, um, it sounds like at the time that you were working in, in the startup, you had that greater, I guess, business exposure. You had to do, uh, achieve great goals with very little resources. Yes. And that led you to the path of automation. Yes, is that something that you had explored before much, or do you think it came from the time in your startup?
1: No, it is. It is something that you definitely learn in the process. Like, mm-hmm. and basically you learn. Uh, I wouldn't say based on your, in a sense, based on your own mistakes. Like, based yes. on the problems that uh, actually, it's not necessarily that you make those mistakes, but you know, people make mistakes. I mean, people are, you know, versus technology. And in most cases, you know, people are the source of. Of mistakes rather mm-hmm. than technology, because yes. computers and they can repeat uh, tasks with high accuracy. But people, yeah, you know, someone may be tired or in, in a bad mood and they make uh, a mistake. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, some people are sloppy, other people are, you know, very careful in, in what they are doing. And you have to. And te- technology can can help uh, addressing those problems. It, it's the same as you know with modern airplanes like you have fly-by-wire and the reason that it's done is to basically avoid, uh, you know, certain problems. And obviously, you know, pilots can still intervene if if they think that something is not, and the technology is not doing, uh, you know, the right job, but, uh, yeah, it definitely uh, can uh, rectify or avoid a lot of uh, problems. Uh, Exactly, exactly. And
0: why why do you think that uh more people don't think about automating their their
1: work in general uh actually that's a good question probably you know people do not often realize that uh, it is possible
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, you know people very often they you know do certain things routinely and yeah they get used to it and yeah they are happy with uh you know making uh, you know, the same mistake again and again and again and maybe later correcting them, you know, that's the, the way uh, a lot of people operate. Yeah. So you, you need someone who uh, thinks uh, out of the box to say, okay, you know, you can easily <laughs> improve the process and, and, and avoid uh, you know, the mistakes and automate a lot of uh, functions and, you know, simplify things. Yes. So automation is is definitely extremely important, like, you know, if you want to be operationally efficient, automation is the key. It's the key. And uh, it is, automation is is driven more and more by, you know, machine learning and, and, you know, artificial intelligence in general.
0: Yes, yes. And then gives you much more scale than what you would otherwise Mm -hmm. get, which is great for, for startups
1: and corporates so i spent a lot of time talking about like doing things outside like or bordering on on analytics but this is yes. this was it's probably it's less than half of my professional experience but it was mm-hmm. it was looking back it was extremely useful so when i thought that okay you know i was doing i spent like well over 10 years doing analytics and then you know Uh, started drifting towards IT but you know IT was quite exciting at that time. Dot-com boom, analytics was not really uh, you know the flavor of the month Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and then I think about five years ago uh, our local companies uh, started noticing uh, uh, big data and data science so yeah it became the flavor of the month. Uh, At that time I was working for a small company um, yeah, doing uh, system integration. I was uh, working as the chief innovation officer, so I was working with right. some, some startups um, that uh, didn't uh, know of each other, and then basically integrating uh, uh, their products, uh, building something new out of existing uh, building blocks. Excellent. And actually, it ended up that uh, when the, when they learned uh, what we were doing, actually, it's not that we were hiding it, and we basically said that hey this is this is what we are doing then uh, one startup took over another startup because they decided geez and so that's a, that's a perfect match mm-hmm. so that was a nice outcome of, of the work that I was doing yes but then when when uh, data science became the flavor of the month and uh, yeah one day I, I noticed a, a job advertisement by Telstra that' I'm like hey you know, we are looking for a senior data scientist and what you need is experience in telecommunications and analytics and machine learning and you know statistics I said yeah that's 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 me yes exactly (laughs) so I didn't have a problem getting uh, that job uh, although I was told that there were you know quite a lot of applicants Mm -hmm. because it it looked very attractive but then what happened is that uh, I turned up at, at work and I asked my manager like okay you know what am I supposed to do what are the problems where is the data and he said no no you you tell us what (laughs) what you'll be doing like okay yeah no problem I look I've been at Telstra I know you know where the problems are so you know we have to have a look at uh, operations you know network performance network analytics oh no no this is not what we want to do we want to work on something like new cutting edge I said yeah okay then you tell me yes and then um, a few weeks later, there were major network outages, like major problems, and suddenly, like, okay, yeah, you can do your network operations. <laughs> I said, okay, fine. Where is the data? Uh, the data is probably in Clayton, at the uh, uh, global network operation or network operations center. I said, okay, I know the place because it used to be the Telstar Research Laboratories. <laughs> I said, okay, I, can, I think I still know a few people who may be working there, so I can get access to the data. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, what are my computing resources? Oh, uh, you, you've got your laptop. I said, come on, wow. the laptop has 8 meg of, of RAM I and, you know, I know four cores. You, you want me to handle, like, you know, gigabytes, maybe even terabytes of data with this laptop? No, it's not going to happen. Okay. Yeah, we've got some money in the budget. Uh, I can spend thirty grand. Okay, thirty grand uh, could buy me a a decent uh, uh, Cisco server. Uh, So I bought—I don't remember which one was it. It was one of the obvious UCS servers, Uh, four slots, Mm -hmm. uh, eight cores each, so thirty-two cores, and one terabyte of RAM. Uh-huh. and 11 terab- terabytes of, of disks. I said, yeah, that's... that's there we do. go. <laughs> okay, now uh, a few weeks later we got the server. Okay, how do I connect it? Oh, no, you cannot connect it to the network. Why not? Oh, yeah, because you know, we have some rules that it has to go to, to a data center. Okay, yeah, no problem. Then we spoke to one that tells a data center. Uh, yeah, look, you know, we are at full capacity, uh, but here we'll be adding some racks, so if you... Sign up, uh, yeah, 12 months later, you may get uh, rackspace. What? Um, yeah, another data center, similar thing, plus all you know, the requirements that they had. So basically, it was you know, even very hard to get physical access to, <laughs> to the server, yes. if, even if it was in the, in the data center. So I said, OK, we can come up with, we have to come up with something else. And it turned out that we had a, a comms room, on our floor uh-huh. uh, with some racks, and they were like typical, you know, telephone racks uh, for patch panel boards, not suitable for the servers, but, you know, the weight was, and it, when we removed the rails from the server, we could fit it, and it was hanging, like, overhanging uh, uh, on the front and on overhanging on the back, but, you know, it was <laughs> stable, so we connected it to, to our LAN, and the server was hidden behind my PC mm-hmm. uh, which I uh, got I got another network interface so the PC was like firewalling um, mm-hmm. the, the server like hiding it so no one could uh, spot that the server is there Yes um, well, because then, then IT like you know with the IT all the hell would uh, you break, know, loose. break loose
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know, that's how we connected the box and then uh, I started uh, I, uh, hooked it up to like you know, an Oracle database with a lot of uh, network data. So I think I may have another meeting. Okay. Um, um, and uh, yeah you know we started uh, sucking in the data from uh, that, that server and analyzing the results you know and we managed to detect a few problems with uh, network and you know, overheating uh, Equipment based on you know the alarm patterns and why those uh, um, like it was it, it, uh, I think it was uh, SDH uh, switches why they were overheating and then uh, problems with Ericsson uh, network management system so uh, yeah quite uh, measurable outcomes and then we could kind of come out and then tell it to our director again he broadcast our success across the whole organization. Then we did something similar using the same uh, uh, server, but then we we were more legitimized, uh, so we could you know do things in the open. Um, yeah, we did a few interesting projects, like using machine learning um, uh, for uh, predicting the best location of Telstra hotspots because they they decided to roll out uh, hotspots. Yes. Uh, and again, you know, my skills uh, uh, helped a lot because actually not only I built the server, you know. Uh, connected it uh, in a such a way that uh, you know my work was not being interrupted but <laughs> we were not hustled by by IT people. yes but uh, in this case because the uh, hotspot network was was still in the I wouldn't say experimental like pilot uh, phase so I could get access to to the uh, um, wireless access network controller and I, I, I knew how to move around, so I, around I could dump data and then analyze data like use machine learning for um, analyzing the data then I, I hooked, it, uh, hooked the data uh, up with uh, Google um, uh, Maps mm-hmm. it was I think what is it called places interface to, uh-huh. to get uh, some idea about like so say you want to install a hotspot in, a, in, a, in an area uh, and it turned out that um, there was a lot of uh, correlation between you know the hotspot usage and what was around. So we were getting information from Google Maps around the ambience, like how many cafes, how many shops, and uh, you know all sorts of other restaurants and other businesses. And I kind of I wouldn't say that it was cheating, but I knew how this business, like you know spending uh, quite a few years uh, in in the hotspot space, I kind of knew what to expect. and the only thing that I needed was, you know, the, some confirmation you know, to collect some data, and uh, yeah, it worked uh, out uh, quite nicely. But I think Telstra decided to ignore uh, my recommendations, and and they basically did their own thing. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure how it works at the moment, but yeah, uh, yeah it was basically we were told that okay, you, we have already done our planning, so yeah, it's a nice piece of work. We we even got some uh, technology award uh, for this uh, work, but. Yeah, wow, it was basically a handshake.
0: Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Wow, that is so so interesting. It's been really, really interesting so far. I think there's a lot of um, really interesting themes that, that um, people should consider and think about. Um, there's application of, of um, analytics to data entry, data quality. Uh, there's um, an aspect of of networking and you know being connected to. Or making making friends with the right people in an yeah. organization that can help yes. you deliver, yes. uh, doing the skunk work, skunk yeah. works type work, um, having the grit and perseverance is something that I yeah. that I noticed that you keep. Um, yeah, you
1: have to basically keep banging your head against the wall until the wall crashes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's right. And you kept you kept being told no, and and you yeah. kept going. Yeah. You, yeah, you have to find another way. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really, really good. And then you also, you're balancing the, um, the pragmatic and realistic view you know, of what, what should be done in a business uh, versus I guess the more, sometimes the more academic perspectives mm. or sometimes um, a, a lot of people run into a risk of over-engineering things. Yes, oh and yes, yes. How did you, how did you balance those, those two aspects?
1: And it's, it's not that hard really, because uh, obviously you know, if you build things, uh, there is a cost involved. So it's like time and, and money. Actually yes. time is money in this case. Mm. So, and actually you have to be, you know, it, it has to be feasible. And usually you have, you know, limited uh, budget or, you know, if you have like, you know, I know sunken costs, you, you have a limited amount of time to, to deliver something. Um, So you have to, it does not necessarily have to be, uh, you know, very sophisticated. You want to get, it's like an 80-20 rule. Yes. Yeah, you want to, uh, usually the, you know, last Pareto distribution, the final 20% uh, uh, dramatically increases the cost of of a solution. So as long as what you do improves uh, business as usual, then that's basically it and and if you try to come up with a perfect solution you 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 are risking that people will get impatient and basically can your project like said okay you know we have spent all that money and you know where is the what is the outcome yes so yeah, you try to uh, get things out to production as soon as, as soon as possible so it's like you know minimum viable product mm-hmm. and then you, you you want to be agile like I can give you an example of uh, what we are doing at the moment. Um, it wasn't Skunk Works, but uh, you know there were still some objections by you know some parts of business to what we were doing. And actually, it was completely I couldn't even understand it like why it was happening. But again, it's probably a bit of a you know tariff war. Yes. Um, actually, what happened is that uh, you know we, we are building a system that is supposed to optimize rostering of care workers because mm-hmm. a, a large part of our business is called independent and assisted living and it's, it's quite challenging yes. because you have uh, we have thousands of care workers and tens of thousands of customers and care workers have to you know go to their homes and do something and actually it's not that you go to someone's home and stay you know the whole for the whole day mm. you may have like an hour here and another hour there and obviously you have to travel between the places Yes. So rostering is is quite a challenge, and there are a lot of constraints. Like you know, we, we have three grades of care workers, and they can do different uh, procedures. Like grade three, it may even be a nurse. So if there is some medical procedure involved, uh, you know, you can only uh, select that particular person. So optimizing the whole travel bit and and and, and rostering is is quite a challenge. So. Yeah, we did uh, uh, some data analysis, a little bit of machine learning, and uh, learned uh, about the problems. And uh, but you know, at the end, it was a you know, we use machine learning for analyzing the, the problem. But the solution is a typical operations research, like hardcore optimization. And uh, it's it's not an easy problem. Mm. So yeah, um, but you know we came up with a, with a practical solution, and uh-huh. you know we rolled something out very quickly. Um, how how long is is very quickly? Uh, it took us about two months. Yep, It's good. Actually, there there were some objections like, oh no, you you cannot roll it out now because you know we are you know making some uh, organizational changes and uh, yeah introducing some new models. I said, look, why not? And you do it in such a way that you, you basically you don't force. Because it is a decision support system, Mm. so people, if they find it useful, they'll use it. Correct. If if not, they they will ignore it. That's right. And so we were basically uh, allowed to try it in one branch and they were very enthusiastic and Mm -hmm. happy that someone finally, you know, wants to help them in their hard work. Yes. And uh, basically we were getting their feedback, adding new features, adding new tools. It's like an ongoing process and within like a short period of time we have like, quite a few branches. And actually it's interesting that uh, it was kind of rolled out by itself. Like, you know, one branch where they, they will meet like branch managers and one will tell another, oh yeah, you know, have you seen this tool? Great. Yeah, and then, yeah, because uh, actually we enabled all relevant personnel to have access to the system, even if they don't know that they have a, that uh, such a system exists. But you know, it, it is it is being rolled out prog- progress- progressively. Yes. And yeah, you know, for some reason, you know, one of the managers um, was not very happy, very enthusiastic about you know how it is happening. But yeah, so what? Okay. Yes. You know, I went to one of the branches and, uh, like, based on the uh, you know enthusiastic. Uh, reception of, of, of this idea, and actually, I demonstrated uh, the tool to, to people, and they said, "Yeah, that's great. Look, we we don't have anything like that, so we'll use it."
0: But I think that's
1: uh, that's what matters
0: the the voice of the market, the voice of the yes. customer. Yeah. Right. In, in
1: this case, it was internal customer. Yes. Because it's basically you know people at the call phase who, who do uh, you know rostering, but we are doing similar things. Uh, actually, we introduce something. To, called people pulse it's uh, employee NPS great Wow um, so we, yeah we are collecting data getting feedback from uh, our employees and yeah we use actually I spend some time um, working on the data use some machine learning to extract some interesting insights and yeah we'll be rolling out something similar for our customers that's perfect yeah, so and
0: are the questions the uh, employee NPS are they based on on individuals or departments? actually the, the we
1: know we know uh, we know obviously it's it's anonymous but we know yes. which department people are coming from so then we can split it basically segment and obviously there will be different uh issues or or good things yes because obviously as as usual some people are very happy about uh, you know their jobs other people are not so especially that you know we have been restructuring australian unity which i think it's almost finalized yeah um because uh, Australian Unity took over some uh, other businesses, so like, you know, at some point it had to be integrated and yes. uh, uh, rationalized. Yeah. So obviously when you have change, you know, some people, actually probably quite a lot of people are, are anxious. And so we want to really know, you know, how people react, where the problems are, how to improve it. So we really pay a lot of attention to, to uh, you know, employees opinions yes and uh, really yeah, the same the same with customers so
0: that's really great yeah. that's really great and obviously
1: data data science plays a big role in this space because it's all based on collected data and actually uh, there is a lot of because with uh, NPS you have to rate uh, you know basically your likelihood of recommending uh, you know a company to, to, to your friends or family yes to other people and it's on the scale from 0 to 10, but uh, it's all good. But, you know, the real information is because you ask people to provide, uh, to comment on mm-hmm. their choice. And this is where you know, the gold is. Yeah, the gold is. But then you you have to do NLP, uh, which is, uh, you know, quite interesting. And then sentiment analysis and, and things like that. So Yes. And uh, uh, with the
0: employees, um, is the question because uh, the MPS question, as you said, is how likely are you to recommend? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so with the employees, is it ha- uh, how likely are you to recommend Australian Unity? To, or?
1: to, to someone else as a, as a workplace. So. Okay, as a workplace, yeah. good.
0: Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And um, have, you, have you guys thought about doing it? Um, how likely are you to recommend this person for a job or, or this department? No. No, it's it's yeah. all, all it's a, across the whole. board. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. that's yeah. good. Yeah. 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 But yeah, we get, we know, we don't know who, you know, provides you know the response, but you know, we know which area they are coming from. Yeah. That's so cool. obviously, you want to, as I said, and actually, it's uh, Australian Unity was formed from a number, at least in the latest, uh, form, from you know quite a number of, of different companies, like the home care services business. Uh, uh, we took it over from the, the New South Wales government. Uh, mm-hmm. It was two years ago. Uh, you know, quite a, a challenging career. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, that's
0: that's really great. That's really great okay. that you're implementing those those initiatives here. Mm. Um, and so, just going back a, a little bit before we were talking about your um, what I think it sounds like almost your your last. Stint at, at Telstra. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what was that the last time then? Yeah, you it, were it was there? it was
1: the last time. And you know, Telstra has got. I, I have kind of laugh and hate relationship with Telstra. Yes. The, the place has got a lot of potential, and there are yes you know, a lot of good people at Telstra. But still, many areas you, you still have a lot of kind of public service mentality. You know, people who have not experience anything other than Telstra and obviously they are fully aware that you know they lose their Telstra job and they are done Mm. especially if they are middle managers yes Uh, so yeah there's a lot of you know protecting turf protecting turf wars and exactly uh, trying to stop yeah it happens in most large companies that's right human human Mm. nature but you have to live with it so you have to find your 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 way around yes Actually I think I uh, talked enough about like my, my journey but uh, maybe it's time for for some conclusions and sounds and, great and, and recommendations so I think one of the questions that you wanted to ask was about how you become become a data science yes. leader yes I uh, I really believe that to become a data science leader you have to be a data scientist of, or, or at least have enough analytics experience and it doesn't have to be and maybe statistics or I don't know machine learning or like some like solid um, understanding of what data science is about. Yes and how how can and, yeah? And uh, yeah I think by now there are there are enough people who have got you know uh, experience with statistics, and obviously, the statistics has been around for a long time. Yes. And uh, they have added machine learning because those are the two main components. You probably, you still have to be hands-on.
0: Yes. I completely agree with this. You still
1: have to be hands-on because this is the only way you can really understand the complexity and and the effort involved in in running projects. What's feasible, what's not. That's right. Um, then. The next, and if you want to become a data science leader, you have to ask yourself, okay, do I want to be a data scientist or a leader? Mm -hmm. And the difference is that actually, you have you know different styles of working, like some people, and the scale is like from solo to team, yes, some people are. You know, at the one extreme, other people are, are at the other extreme. So they cannot function without a team, or you know, they uh, they cannot function with in a team. Yes. And obviously, you, you need both, probably, maybe not necessarily in, the, in data science, because you'll have um, data scientists are more uh, indivi- individualists rather than collectivists. So they'll be more on the solo um, uh, end of the scale. But mm-hmm. you, as a leader, has uh, you have to be in between probably even closer to the team yes I agree. because you have to really you'll be a hub you'll be organizing their work and uh, dealing with like external interface because a lot of uh, you know many data scientists they 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 are happy to sit in the corner and crunch the numbers obviously you have to make sure that they are not over engineering things and they mm-hmm. are not if they are focused too much on getting absolutely perfect algorithms Hmm. then probably you have to have some stop rules like okay that's it we've done enough you know let's push it uh, into into production yes so uh, yeah you have to you need some leadership skills and as I mentioned earlier your business experience is very important Uh, so you have to understand uh, what business is about and it's not Necessarily, like a very encyclopedic, what do you call it? And so, <laughs> it doesn't have to yes. be very formal knowledge. Correct. Um, but at least some have some intuitions. You know what's really important, where where you know potential problems are. Because even you may be dealing with quite diverse uh, businesses, but you know that they share similar problems. Like you know, if you're in business, you'll have customers. Mm-hmm. So if you have customers they'll be happy or unhappy, there will be, you know, customer churn. So you have to find ways to retain your your, your customers. Um, and then there will be a lot of uh, operational problems, You know, things that you can automate with a little bit of, you know, not very sophisticated artificial intelligence. Correct. Uh, so you have to be aware of those things. Then, obviously, you have to be able to, uh, convince people that uh, you know what you are doing uh, is good and you know will uh, give some positive outcomes. Yes. But convincing is one thing, but then delivering. Uh, so, yeah, you can you know give a beautiful presentation. I have seen a lot of good, very good, exciting presentations, and then nothing delivered uh, after spending yes. millions. Yes. So yeah, managing expectations. Obviously, you have to set realistic goals. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you start, when you start building, uh, you know, a data science uh, uh, discipline. So probably, as a you know, the leader will be hired first. Mm-hmm. You don't rush with you know building your, your team. You have to make sure that they'll have something uh, to work on, and it will be you know something reasonably exciting.
0: Yes. And in those, in those early days of, of the leader going into to try to start the team, um, what do you recommend that, that they do?
1: Actually, before you, you even recommend anything, you have to get your head around the business. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, your first few weeks or maybe even few months will be you know, talking to people, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what are the problems and what can you solve uh, using data um, then obviously you have to identify some data assets. Uh, you have to get some computing resources because you cannot analyze data. Sure, if it is a you know small uh, data set, yeah, you can use your laptops with mm-hmm. I know, maybe sixteen um, gig of, of RAM. Yes. Um, but yeah, in most cases you you need something a bit more grante. So mm-hmm. you know if your company is happy to. That you use the cloud, you can get something from from Azure or, or AWS. Uh, if not, because very often there are obviously uh, you know privacy and security considerations, and company are, yes. are not happy to uh, to put sensitive data in the cloud. But you don't really need a massive you know cluster infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Like you can buy a, a decent server for yeah, I used to spend like 15, 20 grand for yes. like a two slot. Uh, maybe 24 cores mm. uh, machines with a you know $1,000 GPU card and enough disk space, and yeah, you can do quite a lot. Yes. On something like <laughs> that, and even if you really have you know big data, like really massive data, it does not necessarily mean that you have to um, ingest all the data in 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 one go. Especially if it exactly. is if it is if it is static data. So basically, you can sample. You know, you can do. You know exploratory analysis to get some idea whether you know things are uh, feasible, whether there are correlations, what kind of uh, you know statistical or machine learning methods you can use to to get some outcomes. So once you identify potential problems, um, yeah, you, you want to deliver something. You want to demonstrate to people how it works and, and that it will work in the first place, so they are happy to mm-hmm. throw more money at you. So set a realistic goal like pick up a low-hanging fruit Mm -hmm. in most cases for most companies from my experience it will be customer retention and then you can use all all sorts of models from like simple logistic regression which usually fails like from my experience to something more sophisticated like you know maybe you know some survival analysis like you know Cox proportional hazard model or, or even more sophisticated, like we do with a combination of machine learning and and survival analysis. And then, uh, yeah, you you basically demonstrate the results. And actually the best way to show people what machine learning is, is to use decision trees because they are very interpretable. You know, people easily understand, uh, you know, they can relate to what uh, they get from, from a decision tree. Yes. And then once they digest you know, (laughs) this thing, then you can take them on a journey like, okay, you know, why don't we use multiple decision trees and, you know, (laughs) just to make the results more stable and then you take them to the forest. Yes. (laughs) And then you can take them anywhere. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, demonstrate something, uh, show some, you know, potential positive outcomes that people can relate to. And then, you know, by that time, you know, you know, the kind of problems that you are facing uh, if uh, you know there are a lot of data sources and you know you have to run around and basically identify them and you know maybe build a metadata catalog the first person that you hire is, is a data engineer and that's what I did here mm-hmm. so very very soon I, I hired a guy I used to work with him like proven in battle <laughs> I can basically sleep in the office and I know that uh, you know if I ask him Um, to do something that I don't have to worry at all. Yes. He's like my quality control. Yeah, (laughs) At the same time, if I do something, I said, Hey, David, can you you check it? Yes. (laughs) That's excellent. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he built a a metadata catalog. Mm -hmm. So we at least knew, you know, where different uh, bits and pieces are. Actually, we could run it in the cloud, so as you Data Catalog was a you know, very cheap and, and, and simple solution. We didn't have to ask anyone for like a big budget. Because It's like one dollar $1 a month per head, per user, so it's like nothing. That's excellent. But, you know, pocket money. And then uh, by that time I had a pretty good idea, you know, what uh, areas areas I should attack. So I hired another, like I hired a a data scientist and Mm -hmm. then a few months later another data scientist and Mm -hmm. now I'm I'm hiring a a programmer and actually all the people that I hire they they are good coders Mm -hmm. so they can at least cut code in Python and here we have other skills like Ruby and uh, C sharp and uh, so and and the reason that you want people with good coding skills is that you want to to uh, build a proof-of-concept system. You want to prove the concept. And then if you prove the concept and you know people are happy, then yeah, you basically take it into production. And usually, and actually the, the way you, you 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 cut your code is, is, is in such a way that it, most of it should be re, re, reusable in production. Mm-hmm. And then you pass it on, on to the development team and you work with them and, and things happen. So this is how it works. And, uh, in one of the things that I tend to do is when I hire people I want people who are proven like either I work with them or people that I know worked with them and I know that I can get an honest opinion Yes, of that person. Because like if you advertise um, yeah obviously you know, the references that are provided will be you know, maybe biased because you, you are providing uh, you know if you agree to provide a reference to someone then you're not going to make it bad correct so you may hide a few things uh, and it's not I guess maybe some a little bit subconscious it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not that you want to lie but correct yes this is this is how how it happens yes human so nature <laughs> yeah, yeah this this way you know I can get unbiased and even if I don't know someone I, I can get unbiased opinion from someone that I trust um,
0: it's a really good way to do it yeah
1: yeah look I I I don't think that I've ever used, I think in the past, maybe on one or two occasions, I hired uh, people through headhunters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, I've been poached by quite a few headhunters in the past, but then obviously the company has to pay for hiring me, then I return (laughs) uh, the investment by hiring people on my own, so they (laughs) they save money. Exactly, good way to do it. And
0: um, do you have, do you recommend, that people uh, work in both corporates and startups.
1: Uh, if you can find uh, such people, yes, definitely you want people uh, working in, in different environments. Uh, the advantage of working uh, in a small company like uh, you know, a startup is that you get to do a lot of things that you normally would not do in a in a large uh, company with like you know strict division of labor. Yes. Uh, but you know, if you work uh, to a startup, then you have to do a lot of things, uh, uh, which basically give you not only technical experience, like a lot of hands-on experience, but business experience at the same time. And having some experience, if it is a, a large company, then obviously, you know, working for a large corporations uh, uh, gives you understanding uh, the culture. You know, yeah, so it's, it's also important because then you know how to move around, exactly how to get things
0: done exactly exactly right that is really excellent that is really really excellent um i think the the only other thing that i that i'd like to ask you last last question i guess how do you impart the the lean approach and the agile thinking to um to your team and to other business stakeholders look
1: i i am not uh, how to say, you know, the lean approach is something that I have been doing for ages. It's, it's pretty Correct. intuitive. Like, if you work for a startup, then, yeah, you basically you are lean. Yes. In most cases. Maybe, you know, in the dot com uh, times uh, when there was a lot of uh, sl- sl- uh, cash slashing around and people <laughs> were throwing uh, millions of dollars at anything that uh, had internet in the name. But, yeah, it's not the case uh, anymore. So. But how about when you come into a, a corporation? No, no. The, the way that, that's that's actually what I'm, what I'm going to talk about. Like, mm-hmm. and first of all, data science is not necessarily the best um, uh, area for something like Scrum. I'm not a big believer in, in Scrum for data science. It's um, you know, Scrum. Scrum is like an assembly line engineering type of approach. Yes. Having said that, uh, we are still agile. Agile is more of a mindset than, than a particular method. So we may use a Kanban, Kanban board to keep track of the things that we do and, and have to do. But yeah, basically the approach that we use is, is based on CRISP-DM. Crisp uh-huh. um, so it's basically like cycling. And it's, hey, it's data science, is more like science. So it's very hard to, you know, predict uh, you know, how soon you solve your problem and whether you solve it at all. That's right. Yeah, You know, with software it's, it's more predictable. You basically know that you can do certain things and more or less have some idea how much time it will take. So, yeah, but yeah, we definitely try to be uh, a- agile. And, uh, but, you know, for most uh, things that we do, we try to build a proof of concept system. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it may, it may be really something very, very uh, simple, like, you know, we may run R script on the back of, I know, uh, something like you know, Flask, yes. uh, Python Flask or, or something like that. Yes. Just to demonstrate how it works, show it to people, get their feedback, uh, you know, whether they find it useful. And yeah, if it is, then yeah, it goes into, into production. If it, is, if it isn't, yeah, that's you scrap it. You, you basically, uh, you know that you haven't wasted uh, too much time. Exactly.
0: Yes, and the learning is is beneficial. The
1: learning learning is is, is very important.
0: That's excellent. That is excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible. There's so many great tips there. So thank you so much for your time. You're
1: welcome. I'm I'm, I'm happy that uh, I can share my my uh, chaotic uh, experience. But uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, like, you know, the diverse professional experience like somehow magically fell into place (laughs) a few years ago when the whole data science thing started like um, returning to analytics after like nearly 10 years break which I was mixing analytics it was more IT than than analytics but yeah it it turned out to be extremely useful
0: Extremely useful and now combining those two
1: Yeah and actually one one comment like obviously I mentioned uh, all those skunkworks, and this is something that obviously may outrage some people who are very disciplined and orderly. (laughs) You do it in such a way that you don't put your organization, you have to do what you are doing. Yes. So, you know, security is is paramount, but I've I've got background in security, I I used to do security audits, and uh, so obviously this is... uh, I know how to handle those things <laughs>
0: exactly, and it's so important not to be not to be sloppy with yes. with yeah. Um, yeah. with the risk especially, taking,
1: especially with security. This is you have to always keep it in mind when you deal with data.
0: Hundred yeah. percent, yes, yes, and more and more as yeah. time goes on.
1: Yes, yeah. that's
0: excellent point, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I, Thank you so much. Welcome. This has been so much fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I could uh, share my experience.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. that brings this episode to conclusion thank you so much for listening please find us on datafuturology.com or on facebook twitter linkedin or instagram as datafuturology also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes if you like this episode it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you.
2: Thanks again and see you next time.